and welcome to our podcast, Women on the Scene. I'm your host, Janet Pettigrew, and today I'm joined by Anita Siri, and we're going to be talking about your home and garden. So no matter whether you've got a large yard, a small courtyard, a balcony, or just a pot, you can still get your hands dirty, grow something beautiful or edible, or indeed both, and reap the benefits of getting back in touch with nature. But before we launch into our discussion, I'd like to welcome Anita to the conversation. Anita, can you begin by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a single mum and I live in the country down in Quinana. I love it there. It's beautiful. So I guess I spend my days getting my son to school and coming home. And in the middle of his school day, I try to look after myself. So I'm legally blind. I have a hereditary disease. It's juvenile onset macular degeneration known as Stargardt's disease. It's really rare. Me and my brother both have it. And it came on when I was about 11. So I was diagnosed when I was 13. I had those two years of trying to sort of figure out how to get through school and what was wrong with me and stuff. But once it was diagnosed, I got some reading aids. I got my beautiful typewriter to take to school to do my schoolwork with. (laughs) Um, And I've somehow managed to get through life. But I think in all of that, we're on the topic of gardening today. I think gardening has been prevalent in my life throughout and it's been quite a large um, therapy tool for myself. Like it's quite peaceful potting and repotting and watching things grow. There's so much hope in a packet of seeds, kind of. <laughs> it's a lovely idea of hope in a packet of seeds. I think that's yeah. absolutely gorgeous, And isn't they're it? so cheap. You can buy seeds anywhere. Like really, I don't think I go to the shops without just sneaking in another packet of chives or dill or parsley from the grocery shops. So if you go to Big W, you can get oh my gosh, anything, flowers or, or just koya peat. Koya peat is so cheap and so useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very different from a lot of women that are going to the shops and coming home with a pair of shoes. So. Yeah, that's right. No, I op shop my shoes so that I've got money for plants. Yeah, <laughs> You've got your priorities sorted out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm passing the addiction on to my son as well, unfortunately, but he's. it's so beautiful seeing kids in the garden, actually getting their hands dirty and after school, um, in the afternoon, I go to pick him up and then I let him, we linger at the school. Probably we annoy the teachers by lingering, but we generally take a ball to the oval and he plays with the kids who say like their parents are a bit late coming to get them from school. So they play kick to kick out on the oval and that's really peaceful time for me while they're playing. It's very safe and he gets his friend's time. Then we walk home and it's like he gets changed out of his school clothes and then he goes and sits in his sandpit and he goes and checks on his rabbits and then checks on the flowers or watches the butterfly. It's so beautiful. So, um, yeah, I can highly recommend this lifestyle to people if they need to have that peace and quiet every day. <laughs> I think that's so important. And I think yep. they've shown that um, gardening is almost, it's like a form of meditation because you can just be very much in the moment oh, and very connected with what's going on and seeing those changes. We are so taken away from that natural kind of rhythm that exists around us. And whilst we live in urban areas, we can still get that with our little patch Absolutely. of garden. Oh, definitely. And then to eat your produce, oh my gosh, um, I used to, in my previous 
house. It was up north about um, 850 kilometres away in the desert. I had an aquaponics system where celery just grew magnificently. So that kind of ended up being the only thing in the end that was in the aquaponics system, but I didn't care. We used it. Um, We ate lots of celery recipes. Um, But to see my two-year-old at the time, he'd drag a chair to the aquaponics system and climb up break off a stick, get down and then wander around the garden eating celery. Like, who does that? It's amazing. So I'm really grateful that now, you know, it's like, ready, go and get your lunch ready for school. And he'll go outside and get some parsley leaves for his lunchbox. And his friends at school are like going, ew, gross, how can you eat that? But he doesn't care. Like, he's just, he's like, no, we grew it. It's okay. It's safe. (laughs) That's fantastic. And just having that understanding where food comes from, that's a big push for in schools as well to get children to understand that it doesn't come from a supermarket shelf. Oh, definitely. Before that, it's come from a farm or, as you say, your own garden, which is wonderful. Yeah, and, you know, schools these days have veggie patches themselves where they work with the kids. And and sometimes when we're on our way going into the school, my son will be like, Mum, have you checked out that tomato plant over there? And we'll have to go and have a look at the tomato and smell the leaves of it. Oh, it's beautiful. So I've I feel really, really blessed that my son knows so much. We we play games on the way to school too. There's this um this plant. It's a yellow flowering gum. Probably everyone would know a yellow flowering gum. It's quite common. Uh, its name is an Iliary. My son knows it because I've named the tree Gary. It's Gary the Iliary. <laughs> and next to Gary lives Tammy the Tamarisk. <laughs> so we play these games of naming the native plants out there. It's gorgeous. <laughs> that is a brilliant way of yeah. remembering plants' names. Yeah. My husband walks around sprouting all these Latin names and I look yeah. at him and go, and that's called a what? <laughs> but there you go. I should just be yeah. calling them Gary and... and <laughs> that's right. Frank. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and um, I, I used to laugh as well. Years ago, we came up with this funny thing like sing a song to your plants, put a plant in the ground and sing a song to it to make it grow. But I'd always end up falling on this song by Casey Chambers, which is, it, it essentially goes, we're all going to die someday. <laughs> <laughs> and I still think of that song when I think about singing to a plant. <laughs> Well, look, we'll turn into a tree one day if we're lucky enough, then, you know, we can go and help something else grow. That's right. (laughs) So, Anita, when we were talking before, you were you was, um, had some really interesting tips as well for people who may not um, necessarily think about going and buying a packet of seeds or something yeah. like that. But there's a way of going from um, the shop to the table, but the long way around is yeah. how you put it, which is, can you tell me a bit about that? I love this and I do this all the time and I can highly recommend it to people. Um, so my kitchen windowsill is, say, like a 15 centimetre tile depth before the window, before the glass, it doesn't receive direct sunlight. It's kind of like ambient light. It's quite peaceful. And on this windowsill, I have jars. So I kind of, um, what I'm getting to is like people collect your jars, you know, be good for landfill, keep your jars, put them on your windowsills, wherever they may be, put some water in there and then go get a sweet potato and chop off the end of it a couple of inches. I talk in inches a little bit it's because I weave, I I do inches. Chop off a few inches, 
stick a few toothpicks in the side and sit it in water. Eventually you'll get some roots coming out of that and some shoots. When those shoots are 15 centimetres long, you twist them off and you stick them into a glass with water. They'll create roots and those are what you plant into the garden after winter. Oh, the shoots, not the the actual... The shoots, not the root. So if you do the shoots, you'll get a really bumper crop of roots in the ground. But if you plant the actual sweet potato, you won't get the crop. But what you will get if you put the actual sweet potato in a pot in the garden is you'll get this beautiful foliage. It'll just grow and meander through your garden. Some people are scared of this. They say that it takes over. But you know what? I really don't care because you can eat everything from a sweet potato plant and it is so nutritious. Um, So me and my son, we go out there and there's this pot of sweet potato crawling over the path and I take my secateurs or scissors, it really doesn't matter what, you can break them off, cut everything that's growing onto the path. Where you've cut it, it'll sprout more branches from and it'll start making more. But those shoots that you've taken that are growing over the path, take them into your kitchen, give them a little bath in the water, cut off the really good leaves. And you can feel this. For a blind person, you can feel that the leaf is good. It's got no holes in it. It's not wilted. Um, It'll be like a salad green leaf. It's beautiful. So you take them off, put them in a bowl for your salad. Uh, You can put that in quiches or you can just put a salad dressing over the top of it. You can stick it in a sandwich. It's so nutritious. But what's left, that shoot that you've taken off, stick it in a jar on your kitchen bench. That will create roots and you go stick it somewhere else. You will have the most luscious, hardiest leaf matter in your garden that is perfectly edible. And I haven't noticed too many pests actually eating it. Either that or I've got too much of it in the garden. So, um, <laughs> No, I've grown sweet potato and it seems to be bulletproof as far yeah. as pests go. It's a good oh, one to have. It is really good. It's like um, there's a climbing spinach plant, but I'm mm. like, I just can't get past this sweet potato for its ability to grow. I mean, I'll grow anything. I'll give anything a go. So there's that. But there's also celery. So get your big bunch of celery, a full bunch of celery, We have rabbits, so we go through a lot of celery. Um, I break off all the long outside stalks of celery. So you're just left with the core, just the, say, medium-sized. Use a a bamboo skewer through the top leaves, stick it in a jar on your kitchen bench. It will sprout roots and go and plant that somewhere in your garden. You will get more celery to eat. You can use the leaves in soups, but what you'll get is this beautiful spread of flowers that are really tall and the insects really love that. They really appreciate that. And then all the seeds that naturally fall in your garden will create more celery plants. It is the easiest way to take something from the shop to your plate later. It's it's phenomenal. Celeriac is another one. So this is an interesting tasting vegetable that I'm not convinced whether I actually like it, but we do eat it. It's a little bit on the turnip scale for me. Not a fan of turnips, but I'll grow them to gift to other people. Celeriac is a little bit like that. You ma- make a puree and put it over your mashed potatoes. It's gorgeous. But instead of chopping up the leaves of it, just chop it down, leave a little bit of the core, stick it in a glass on your windowsill. That'll create roots. Put it in the garden and the same thing. You'll have celeriac growing. (laughs) So a $4 celeriac at the shop can create an abundance of them in your garden. Um, Onions will do the same thing. If you take your onion bulb 
and you chop it just in a straight line down the core. So you end up with a square cylinder and the roots are still intact. You can skewer that, put it into a glass of water. You'll have a sprout coming from the side of that. That can be planted in the garden. Just just take the whole thing and put it in as soon as the roots are done. So you've got onions on the go as well. Leek, go and buy a leek for a dollar. Chop it like a couple of inches just off the bottom bamboo skewers, put it in a glass of water on the windowsill and you will have a leek plant happening. I That's swear. such a good idea because leeks no. take forever. I try growing they them do. in the garden and they take like forever. Yeah. But, you know, the flowers are amazing. So mm. as an ornamental edible, it is just, I think if you're going to go to the effort of having flowers, like, you know, put something in that will create seeds in the garden that you can then harvest again as well. So um, basil is another thing. You know, um, I, I always come back to feng shui in lots of things. I've read lots of books about it. I'm definitely not an expert on feng shui, but I really enjoy it. I like reading new tips and then trying it. Um, so jade by the door, you'll never be poor. And and at some stage, I don't know the actual rhyming saying, but if you have a kumquat tree in a pot outside your front door, everyone in the house will be wealthy. Wealth doesn't essentially mean money in my case. <laughs> but um, I'd say I'm pretty wealthy in my lifestyle. It's a beautiful, calm place I have. I have a kumquat tree in the door. Because of that saying or that notion, I suppose, from the Chinese belief, I went and got a kumquat tree, which then made me go and learn about kumquats. And um, I'm not sure that I'll actually like to eat them, but it is a stunning plant to have by the front door anyway. Um, I'm just you know, every day I'm grateful that someone hasn't stolen my pot of kumquat by the front door. <laughs> it's lovely to turn it into a kumquat marmalade. That's what I do. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait to try it. But in the meantime, I'll be really, really glad to see it growing there. Yeah. You were also talking too about, um, we touched on a little bit, about the beneficial nature of having uh, bees and other insects and things in your garden and what that attracts as well or how it helps with your gardening. Absolutely. So um, probably the given is that insects help pollinate your fruit and veg so you get a better crop. Um, bees are not the only thing in your garden. You know, there are a percentage of the insects. There are so many different ones. Um, as a blind person... I'm not actually bothered by bees in the garden. I talk to them. I know they're doing a job too. So I'm like, oh, hello, bee. And I'll plant a flower or put some seeds in. Those are for the bees. I'll kind of leave dandelion flowers in the garden because I know the bees like them and the other insects as well. So I'm not afraid of them. I do know people who are afraid of them, but I think... Probably because I know my son is not allergic to them, I'm not so worried. And he, he got accidentally stung on the foot. He he re reacted emotionally to that. We dealt with it. And then he wasn't scared of the sting again. So the next time he decided to catch a bee and release it in a different yard, he got stung, but he pulled the sting out himself. Um, so I'm not worried about him in the garden as well. He's kind of educated. Um, it might be different if you are actually allergic to bees then yes, fair enough, have a fear or respect of bees. But for me, I go out in the garden and I talk to the bees and I don't mind them buzzing around. They haven't bothered me in the slightest at all. What does worry me though as a blind person is paper wasps. So I won't know if there is a nest under the rim of my fence 
And I also won't be able to spot a paper wasp. So I'm kind of reliant on other people to tell me if there's something like that around. You also can't tell if there's paper wasp nests on the other side of your neighbour's fence. So you're you're out of control in that respect. But I guess that comes to a sense of community and talking to people and they will identify an issue like that that needs to be treated. But as far as insects go, like beneficial insects, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of them. Put water out, we put water out for them with things like sticks in the water so the bees can get out of the water. Um, and the same with the birds too. We put water out for the birds. We, we do feed them occasionally, but, you know, they come and go as they please. And some days we forget to feed them and they don't care. So <laughs> <laughs> There's um, also the um, the less beneficial things like your snails and slugs oh, and yes. cockroaches. So and... These, these bother me a little bit. So as a blind person, it's quite gross when you accidentally pick up a slug. It It's just not nice at all. You're sort of left going like, do, do I dare touch it again? Or a snail, it's kind of like you pick up the shell and you go like, are you alive in there or are you dead? Or, <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm not that scared of squashing snails either. I do use snail baits in my garden. I have to admit to that. Some people don't like hurting any animals. Um, but for me, my seedlings are quite precious. The little, the little babies that have just hatched from the seeds. So uh, what I do is I sink a little dish, like a little saucer in the dirt, just slightly, and I put my snail baits in that. Then I put like a little rock or something next to it and a larger plate face down over the top of it so the rain doesn't get onto those. And the snails come along and they're like, oh, this is little hidey zone with the treasures. But what I've found is that mice actually eat the snail baits and so then you're attracting mice. So then you have to get mouse traps and oh my gosh. But you know what? Chooks love dead mice. So it's a whole ecosystem really. And it's up to you how, like what extent you're willing to put up with pests like that in the garden. But There's a, another way to get rid of snails too, which is um, not a lot of people have leftover beer, admittedly. Yeah. But if, yeah. if you sink a little container into the ground so it's yes. at uh, ground level and pour in a little bit of beer, the, the yep. snails are attracted to the smell of that and uh, they go in and plop in. And if it's like an old margarine or butter container, they can't crawl out and they end up drowning in a very happy way, I hope. Yeah, you would imagine so. That is actually a better way than actually what I do, (laughs) squashing them. But um, no, I have to admit though, when we moved into this house, it's got a bore and it it was on reticulated bore water. So three times a week, it was having a lot of water at nighttime and the snails were tremendous. And there's a picket fence at the back with bushland and, and, oh my gosh, the snails. And my son would collect them all and he'd make snail mansions out of bricks. And and I was inundated with snails. It was really overwhelming. Um, And I remember him saying to a bus driver once, like, we've got hundreds of snails. And the bus driver's like, yeah, hundreds, really? And I'm like, no, seriously, there are hundreds. We've got this beautiful big tree which dumps leaves, which attracts snails. Oh, they were everywhere. So I did go mad for a while just sprinkling snail baits. And I have to say, I'm on top of the problem now. We do have the odd snail, um, but it's not anywhere near as bad as what it was. So plague proportions. Yeah, no, it was disastrous. But there are worse things in the world than plagues of snails. There are. (laughs) Now, you also said before that you were um, providing flowers for the beneficial insects, uh, but you talked before as well about how you can uh, use your vegetable patch as well for the community about that kind of thing of um, and, and creating community through that. Tell me a little bit about your 
philosophy around that? Well, I've got a a few elements of this. I really love, maybe it's just being in the metropolitan area. Where I used to live, there weren't so many people around. So friends were limited and the garden was my my space. But I I also liked having my friends over who were into gardening. They'd sort of come and have a little daily check on the garden and the animals. But here, I think because it's metropolitan, it's longer to get from one place to another. Friends don't come over that often. Um, And then your neighbours, you know, I've got some neighbours that just work so much, they're rarely home. And I've tried meeting many people around the neighbourhood. I know there are gardeners around the neighbourhood, but I haven't had that daily interaction with them enough to build up a friendship. So I'm kind of, um, I have some friends around, but I've got family members who come over occasionally and I take them for a garden tour around. In this sense, um, I've found it beneficial because because of my blindness, I can't see fruit and veg in the garden if it's ready. Like it's so often that I am surprised by a massive zucchini in the garden. And I go, I had no idea that was there <laughs> because, it, you know, the grass might have grown a bit long and it's hiding it. And, you know, um, oh, tomatoes, you know, red and green, I really struggle with in the garden and tomatoes ripen so quickly on the vine. Quite often, I don't even know that they're on the tomato plant before they're ready to be picked. So it's nice to have people over to actually go, would you mind looking in my garden and seeing if there's anything ready? And that gives them a beautiful experience of going fossa king. That's that's something, you know, they don't mind doing whatsoever. I've had my brother and his girlfriend over for dinner and I sort of gave them a bowl and said, would you mind and going picking the salad? So they got to potter through and pick lettuce leaves and, you know, herbs for the salad. That was beautiful. Um, I have my son. My son is very good at keeping a track of the harvest, but sometimes he goes away to his father for a week. And then I'm left going like, oh my God, who's going to tell me if the carrots are ready? (laughs) (laughs) It's not the end of the world, I know. Um, But there's this other concept, which I really love too. And that's of like, you plant four capsicum plants for yourself and then plant another two for the community. So what is produced on those plants, you can give away to someone. Um, I really love that idea. I'm not yet at that idea of dedicating plants to the community. However, (laughs) I'm a big fan of silver beet and leafy greens. So I generally have a lot of that. And recently um, I knew that I would be seeing my auntie and my brother on the same day. So I made two bouquets of silver beet leaves and I wrapped them up in greaseproof paper with a ribbon and those were their presents. And I was so proud to gift those to them. So that's something that other people can do too. Just, you know, share it around. That's gorgeous. Really lovely. I'm also a fan of those people, those lucky people. I can't do this where I currently live. Um, They have verge gardens and you can plant things that you don't mind if people are going to take. So say like a mulberry tree, a mulberry sorry, you probably wouldn't put a mulberry tree on the verge, but close to the verge. If you put a mulberry tree in, at least once a year, that is going to be inundated with fruit that maybe you just don't care if the kids walking past would pick the fruit and have a healthy snack on their way home. That's the kind of thing that I love doing is planting things within reach of other people that you don't mind giving away. So um, I know lemon trees in Mekathara, people knew where the lemon trees were. It's a small town. And 
kids would come and knock on the fence, can I have some lemons? <laughs> and it's like they were waiting for that special time of year when the lemons were ready. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Yeah. So now you also spoke before about how um, potentially the NDIS can help people if they feel that they would love to do something in their yard or their courtyard, but don't know that how to go about that, that there is some help for them through that process. Yeah, absolutely. So under the NDIS, you can get help with gardening and maintenance around the home. It it really does come down to, say, the, the person that comes with you, if they're, if you get along with them, that's a really, a really good thing. Like if, if you and another person, that person gets you and you're like, you know, I really want to do something with that lawn, but it's a bit overwhelming right now. They can help you with that. They can they can mow it. They can edge it, so that doesn't then become a burden for you. Um, I know for me, I'm really worried that someone might weed the wrong thing from my garden because I'm sort of the gardener who sticks plants in anywhere. I was for a while, for a, over a year, I had an NDIS funded gardener coming to my house to help me with projects. Sometimes things were unreasonable. I I can't use a whippersnipper, and I'm quite daunted by a whippersnipper. I can mow the lawn, so I do that. But I would have this guy, Steve, come over and he would help me by whippersnipping and and he'd help me with other jobs around the yard that I might have found challenging, like drilling into a brick wall to hang my garden tools up. That's kind of important to me. And yet I'm I'm lacking the confidence to drill into brick walls. <laughs> so NDIS has been invaluable for me. I don't currently have a gardener, but I'm at a point where I need that peace and solitude to do some projects by myself. But when Steve was coming over and I'd be worried about these little seedlings, I'd say like, just don't worry about weeding. That's my job. And and he was fine with that. He was really good. But he also developed an interest. So every time he came over, he'd be like, oh, so what have you done in the meantime? He came over once a month. So we'd go on a tour of my yard. So over the last three months, I think I haven't had anyone coming to help me, but Steve still pops in occasionally to see what's been happening. And I love that. We've developed quite a good relationship over that. That's fantastic. Yeah. So Anita, if we can just talk a little bit, I suppose, in conclusion, really about how important your garden is to you in terms of your mental health. And I know you've got a lovely large garden. People might not have that same degree, but they might have a little courtyard or they might even just have a few pots that are around an area where they sit. Talk to me a little about what you get back from the garden that helps you maintain your sort of even keel. Yeah, okay. Well, my garden isn't large, but I've used the space... Uh, very intensely, kind of. I'm. Um, I've made little pockets right throughout the yard. It's not a courtyard. It's it's quite larger than um, the shoebox house gardens. But I think even people in apartments, even people without outdoor spaces, can still do this. Oh gosh, there are so many things I could talk about. Don't restrict me. No. <laughs> okay. So there's container gardening. Container gardening is where you get something like a bucket or a a plastic crate and you drill a hole slightly up the wall of it. You don't put put holes underneath it. So put the holes slightly up the side of it. Start putting your vegetable scraps in there and start putting your paper scraps in there. Just, Just pile anything biodegradable into this bucket and put some potting mix on top of it and put some seeds in there. That will be enough to get you started. You can grow magnificent 
crops in container gardens like this. And then when that container is full, get another container and do it. You can get your containers from Verge Sides. And this is kind of how I've built up my space. So I have this patio paved area where nothing would grow. Probably ants were growing very well there. And I just started with one container after another. I was, I collected a couple of wheelbarrows on the Verge side pickups. And then I just started throwing vegetable scraps and, you know, my old uni books, they're in my wheelbarrows, which are now growing my beetroot. (laughs) It's amazing. And I can just pick up the wheelbarrow and push it to another bit. Oh, that bit gets a bit more sun. Um, So container gardening is a really great place for people to start. I also wanted to talk about microgreens. This is really kind of important. If people are completely blind, so something I was thinking about was, If people are completely blind and they're worried about accidentally eating something inedible, like say if you had a deadly nightshade plant pop up in a basil patch, someone who is completely blind may not feel the difference in the leaf texture. So if that is something that frightens you, there are still ways around it. Uh, I was saying before, Janet, that there's enough nutrients within a seed to get it to a certain point without any extra fertilizer. That's kind of a really vital point. So, So this is a little tip for people who are worried about that. If you want the nutrients into your diet, microgreens are a really great place to go. So you can get a little pot, a pretty pot for indoors, put it on your windowsill, put some coir peat in it. These are blocks you can get from Big W for $5. They sell them in Woolies or you know, bunnings. bunnings. Yeah. Yeah. So coir peat, you soak it, it expands, put it into this pot on your windowsill and put in an entire packet of something like basil seeds or parsley or, oh gosh, anything, silver beet. It, whatever it is, edible, not inedible. Oh my gosh, nasturtiums would do. They're beautiful. So put in an entire packet. You wouldn't do this kind of dense planting out in the garden, but if you put that whole packet into here, what you'll end up with is a pot on your windowsill full of these, say, 15 centimetre tall plants that are so nutritious. You take that pot over to your stir fry and you just grab it and you snip it off it just a bit above the base, um, leave a little bit on there, and then you can just put that straight into your food. That doesn't have any chemicals or toxins or or accumulated chemicals from the environment on those leaves. It goes straight into your food and then you put that pot back on your windowsill and you do it over again as it grows. So that's a really cheap and expensive. So you might pay $2.50 for a packet of seeds at the reject shop and then to put it into a pot of coir peat that has no other seeds in it whatsoever that's going to be the only plant that's growing in there. And you know that you're going to get those nutrients into your food. You can have several of these pots growing at the same time. They're really inexpensive. Um, And the coir peat, you know, once you've had enough of it, put it in the garden, it'll create that composty, the the stuff that worms love. And then, you know, if you're blind and you're out in the garden and you're fossicking through the dirt and you come across a worm, you won't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) Anita, thank you so much. You are just a wealth of information. We could talk all day. You have (laughs) amazing, amazing amount of knowledge. And it's good to see those uni books um, after they've infused your mind with so much knowledge and education. They're now helping your body in a completely different way, providing you with yummy beetroot to eat. Yes. (laughs) Anita, thank you so much for being part of our conversation today. 
Monday on Women on the Scene. And good luck with all of your endeavours in your garden. And I'm sure that your son is going to grow up to emulate what you have done. And that's, that's a wonderful legacy to have given him as well. Thank you, Anita. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we look forward to joining you in the conversation next time. This podcast was edited by Oliver Thompson.